evening, everybody. Um, so uh, to join Mike in thanking everybody for coming together tonight to find some rest here with Christ in the Eucharist. Um, I'm going to say just a quick prayer for myself. Um, it's a beautiful opening to the Liturgy of the Hours, which is kind of like the universal prayer of the church, if you're not familiar with it. Um, you always start prayer saying, Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall proclaim your praise in the morning. And that's what I'm calling God to do here is open my lips that I may proclaim his praise. Um, who am I? Uh, my name is Sean Greeley. I'm a parishioner here uh, down at St. Ignatius. Um, I'm quite literally just a parishioner, which is also the name of the podcast that my buddy Lorenz and I uh, host. So check us out on Apple or Spotify or anything like that. Um, or, you know, come talk to us after. I have to put that pitch in here or else Lorenz will get mad at me. Um, so this weekend is Father's Day, right? Any fathers out there, show of hands. Awesome. Great to see that. Um, I'm 28 and I got married six months ago. Not a father yet, but maybe I'll get to your guys' level one day. Um, what do you guys have lined up? Maybe like a barbecue this weekend where you might be the one grilling, but at least you get to barbecue. Um, or maybe you'll like get a nap and you get to like put the kids down for a little while. You don't have to worry about them. Um, maybe you'll get some tools, right? We all love a brand new tool. Um, some, some that is like interesting about tools is that they're dangerous, right? Um, you ever like try to use a drill to put a screw into a piece of wood or something and you keep your finger on the threads and you end up slitting your fingers on it a little bit. I've done that a couple of times. Um, you hammer your thumb, God forbid you do something worse than that with the saw, right? Um, they're a little dangerous. Like I said, I'm not a father, um, but I am going to just a couple of things I'm going to sprinkle in. First, I'm going to give you some unsolicited parenting advice. Um, second, I'm going to give you some etymology of a Greek word and a Latin word sprinkled in. We're going to talk about the apocalypse at some point here. Um, and then hopefully it all comes together at the end. So we'll see what happens. Uh, first, the unsolicited advice, right? So talking about tools, um, the most powerful tool in the world right now that can do far more damage than like a screw or a hammer or a nail or a saw. I mean, even you could amputate a limb with a saw, right? Something that can do way more damage than that is the phone in your pocket, the smartphone in your pocket. And I would encourage just anybody who has small children or children in like elementary school and middle school, really, really think about whether you want to give them access to that at that kind of age. Um, and the biggest reason I bring it up is because of explicit pornography that's on the internet, right? Um, I'm saying it up here because everyone's usually afraid to talk about it. And I think at a men's night, it's important. Um, many people in this room, especially if you're under 40, you were probably exposed to, you know, pretty intense stuff on the internet as a kid. Um, and even if you're older than that, you may have been too, but especially your kids, like the stuff that they're going to be, be walking into on social media, and, you know, Twitter and TikTok and uh, Instagram and all this stuff, like it's all out there. It's so easy for them to get. And even if you have some kind of like software or something to block it and you have parental monitoring, they're smarter than you. They're growing up with this stuff. Um, like I said, I'm 28 and there's stuff that probably every 15 year old knows about their phones that I don't know. So um, really just like a word of caution as far as that goes. Um, now, if you yourself find yourself struggling with that, I would really recommend um, going to confession. I would really recommend considering good Catholic counseling. Um, and lastly, I would really encourage everybody to spend some time educating themselves about 
something that Pope John Paul II or St. John Paul II talked about in the 80s um, called theology of the body. Okay. Theology of the body. Some of you may have heard of it before. Um, as far as what it is, it's kind of John Paul II spent uh, his Wednesday audiences at the Vatican for a good year and a half, two years, I think, going into a deep dive of the Bible, of Scripture, and kind of acknowledging what role the body plays in salvation, right? What role the body plays in the story that God wove into human existence. Um, we hear in the Old Testament that the, God, the body might not be necessary, quote unquote, for God, right? Like we hear in Jeremiah, in the first chapter of Jeremiah, that before he formed us in the womb, he knew us, right? So in some way, in some form, God had some knowledge of us before we ever existed physically here on earth. And yet he still went and created us as physical human beings here, right? Started in the womb, we were born, and now we're all sitting in this church here. For some reason that happened. In Genesis, we hear God, uh, well, we hear the story of Genesis, right? Uh, where through the seven days, God is creating the stars and the sky and the earth and the animals, um, animals of the sea, animals of the land. And then on the sixth day, he creates man. And the whole time, the first five days, he's saying, that's good. That's good. That's good. Sky's good. Fish are good. Animals are good. When he gets to man, he says, that's very good. For whatever reason in scripture, in the first book of the Bible that goes back to ancient history, they decided that, uh, or God inspired them to write, right? That everything was good that God created, but man is very good. Again, we're getting this sense that there's something different about the body, the human body. We hear the story of Adam being created and then his original um, lonesomeness that's there, right? So he's there and he recognizes the world around him and he notices that there's something incredibly unique about himself that nothing else on the earth has the character of. And so he's looking for a companion and God creates Eve to be his companion. And there we are with the first man and the first woman created for unity with each other, created for complementarity with each other, right? Masculinity and femininity, both carrying specific traits, both carrying specific uh, duties, both carrying specific uh, characteristics, right? Everything that kind of molds together to form this perfect union between man and woman, husband and wife in that capacity. So we see that from the beginning. And, and what was it when they were created, right? We look at this kind of paradisal world that they were living in. They were living in the Garden of Eden, we call it, but that's really just the name that we give it, right? Essentially what it was, was perfection. It was a world created for humans to thrive, to flourish, and to be in complete unity and complete knowledge of fullness of God, right? It was essentially a heaven on earth at the time. And God established a covenant with Adam at the beginning, and Eve established a covenant saying, this is all yours. This is yours to experience me. This is yours to experience each other for all of eternity. Just don't go towards that tree of uh, knowledge there. That tree of knowledge is forbidden. So why would God do that? Well, God had to give us free will in order for us to be able to choose him, right? Free will means uh, that we get to choose whether we're going to fall in love with God or not. Um, if God created us to just automatically be in perfect love with him without even thinking about it, 
that means we're robots. That means we're automatons. That means that we're, we have no real reason for existing, right? God created our souls. He knew of us. He gave us these gifts of bodies. He created them in unity with each other. So your mind and your body or your soul and your body are intertwined as one being. And then he gave us the freedom of mind to be able to choose whether we're going to pursue a life with God or without God. Now, every day, you and I both all make choices to live life without God. And that's what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden, right? The reason that we do it now, really, is kind of because Adam and Eve did it then. But, you know, as much as we can all look back and blame Adam and Eve, we would have done it too. You know, it's just a fact of human nature. Once temptation, once sin entered the picture, or once temptation entered the picture, it was only a matter of time before sin happened. Because though God created us and we are very good, we are not perfect and we do fall to temptation. So at that moment, Adam and Eve broke the covenant that God established with them. They decided to try to pursue full knowledge of everything beyond what God gifted them with, right? And really knowledge beyond what God is capable of from their point of view. And so from there, death and destruction and disease and all of these horrible words that begin with D entered the world. So why am I going into all of this? Well, it's kind of this whole idea that we are all broken. We were, we were originally created for this thing that was so perfect, this thing that was so good, full existence, full communion with God. I promised a Latin lesson. Here's the Latin lesson, right? Communion. Every Sunday we come to Mass, we receive communion. But what does that mean? It comes from the word cum and the word unus in Latin. Very, you know, straightforward. It means coming together as one, right? You probably could have guessed that's what the meaning of it was. But think about the depth behind that definition of communion, to come together as one. We were created originally for that coming together as one that God made us for, right? Not just one with each other, but one with God himself. We learned about the Trinity. Um, we, we had Holy uh, Trinity Sunday, right, a couple weeks ago. And we hear about how it's this relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in community with each other, in communion with each other, but one God. And then God created us. He gave us a body for us to have communion with him and with each other, right? Separate beings somehow, but meant to come together as one. So we have this brokenness as a result of Adam and Eve breaking the covenant in the garden. That's the, like really the whole reason that Jesus came down from, from his spiritual quote unquote form, right? Into becoming this full man, fully God uh, being on earth for a period of about 33 years of history and came down, lived his life, preached the gospel, was persecuted and died on the cross. He did that to buy us a ticket back to that paradise, right? God assumed humanity and then took on the full weight of sin of humanity to kind of open up the gateway to get us back into heaven. Um, I love C.S. Lewis talks about how we're all made to be little Christs. That means that we're meant to become Christ-like and almost like divine in ourselves by joining God in heaven, like that's the whole mission of humanity here is to live our lives in a way that will get us to heaven. 
Um, that's, you know, that's really the whole point of Christianity. The whole point of being a Catholic is to be able to join God and Christ in heaven and bring as many people with us as possible, right? How do we do that? We do that largely uh, through the sacraments. So I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the sacraments. Um, the sacraments are, we all, we all know the seven sacraments, right? Um, what they really are is an infusion of grace that God gave us through physical action, okay? By taking this certain, mat, uh, certain form, this certain physical action that takes place, along with the grace that God gives us, we're able to kind of instill these marks of holiness on, uh, well, the priesthood and the diaconate are able to do that. Those were always kind of like a knowledge thing for me. Like I'm a cradle Catholic. I, I grew up going to CCD and everything, went to public school for most of my life, but you know, I got religious ed and took my first communion in second grade and I got baptized when I was probably like a few weeks old. Um, confirmation in 10th grade. And it really was all kind of just like second nature as a cradle Catholic, but not all that meaningful. Three, three sacraments that took a whole lot more meaning for me in the last couple of years. Um, I'm going to talk about confession, the anointing of the sick and communion itself. So just to circle back to Father's Day, right? Um, this is going to be my second Father's Day without my own father. Um, my dad passed away on May 24th in 2021. Um, this was following about seven or eight weeks in the hospital. Originally went in with uh, chest pains, right? Had an open heart surgery. And, you know, mechanically everything was a success for the surgery. But unfortunately, he had a whole lack of uh, perfusion to his organs over a course of weeks prior to that. So then he was in the and uh, in the ICU. Um, he was doing fine for a few days and that he was in Jersey. So I was out here. I drove out. Uh, the surgery was on a Tuesday. I drove out on Friday to visit him in the hospital. And it was back, you know, when the COVID rules were a little stricter. So it was one person at a time going in to the hospital. And all the news from my mom and my brother up until then were, you know, he's, he's doing okay. He's not responsive. He's still, uh, you know, got the breathing tube in and intubation, but all the news was fine up until then. And the day I went in, they told me, yeah, your dad, if he makes it through the next 48 hours, we'd be shocked. Um, they had to defibrillate him about 40 times that night just to keep him alive. And alive is a pretty loose term at that point. Um, they were afraid that they had given him so much medication and that he was getting so little perfusion to his organs that even if they took him off the medication and tried to wake him up, he would never recover, uh, recover neurological function. Um, and my family, we just, we had nothing to do but pray and cry and cry a lot more and pray a lot more. Um, we we're saying rosaries every night. We we're praying novenas every nine days. And I wish I could say that there was a, a big miracle that happened at the end of it, but unfortunately we ended up losing him. There were these little miracles that happened along the way. Um, I mentioned we prayed some novenas and it was kind of weird. Like as Catholics, we feel superstitious sometimes with that stuff. Like, oh, was, you know, we'll pray a novena to this dead person and maybe they'll like somehow fix it, right? Um, I'm gonna pray to St. Anthony to find something. 
or to find a parking spot or something like that and bury St. Joseph in my front yard to sell my house. You know, it's kind of weird when you think about it. Um, but the novenas, it, I never was like a big believer in the, the power of them until this whole series of events happened where we were praying to, you know, St. Jude and St. Rita for all the impossible causes and finding obscure saints who are saints for kidneys and for livers and all these different organs. Um, but without fail, it was, it was pretty wild on the ninth day there would be some like kind of miraculous thing that would happen. Um, the first, the first novena that we did nine days after they told us that he was about to die. Um, and they tried to wake him up and take all, all the pain medication off and take him out of the, the coma. Nine days after we finished the, well, nine days after we started the novena on the last day, he like regained neurological function. And they said that was like a one in a hundred shot that that would happen. And his eyes opened up and he could like blink his eyes to respond to us. He still couldn't really talk. He could kind of make noises, but he couldn't really talk. Um, he was able to move his arms. It was kind of crazy. And all of a sudden we had this conscious person who was on the hanging by a thread to life. And we had to be the one to break it to him that he was literally dying unless we had some kind of crazy miracle and we could replace all like three of his organs. And we prayed like three more novenas after that. And without fail on the ninth day, we were just getting this news along the way, just telling us like God's with us and somehow. And at the time, like we really thought that he was going to pull it out. We really thought like this is, this is happening. And even the doctor in the ICU, she, she was an ICU doctor for like 28 years. And she said she had never seen anybody in his condition recover to the point that he had at that point. Um, he was on mechanical heart support for, the entire time in the hospital. And as a last ditch effort, they did a surgery to take him off of that because if his heart could recover, they could potentially save the other organs. And his heart kind of did recover. Like they took him off the mechanical support and all of a sudden his heart started working again. Um, not to the level that they wanted at the time, but they said, we can, we can keep it going. We can keep it getting stronger. And we started to see a little hope at the end of the tunnel there. But he didn't make it. Um, they said at the end, it was probably a brain hemorrhage and his body just kind of went into a state of shock. And ultimately they had to take him off life support. Like real downer of a story after so much hope and so many roller coasters of being told he's gonna die. Tell you what, a lot of gas and a lot of tolls going from Long Island to New Jersey every couple of days. Um, but then you reflect on it and you're like, he was there, you know? Like God was there somehow, some way. Um, whether it was more time for us to see him, whether it was just giving more family members a, a chance to see him because of the COVID rules at the time, where it was one person or two people at a time going into the hospitals. Um, anybody here who lost somebody over the last couple of years, especially if they were in a hospital or a nursing home, I'm sure you can, that resonates with you, right? Um, but then I started thinking about the sacramentality of it all. So there were a couple other weird things, right? So my dad died in May. That January beforehand in 2021, um, my brother lives in Indiana and we were out there visiting him for Christmas and New Year's. And he got my dad to go to confession for the first time in probably 30 years. And some people in this room may be sitting there saying, hey, I haven't gotten confession in you know 20 or 30 years myself. That's who my dad was. He went to mass every Sunday. He was a lector but he was not a confession guy. And my brother got him to go. First time in 30 years, four months before he died. It's like, wow, okay, that's pretty cool, right? Like he was able to cleanse his soul 
in front of Jesus in the person of the priesthood four months before he died. It's like, well, I wish he was still here, but at least that happened. Now, anointing of the sick, right? Like, my wife and I were visiting him on May 23rd, day before he died. We were they finally allowed two people into the hospital, so we both went in at the same time. Um, first time my wife had seen him while he was sick, and he was responsive. He was able to blink. He wasn't the most responsive in the world, but he was responsive. He was able to blink, like to say yes or blink to say no. On the way out of the hospital, I'm tearing up. She's tearing up because we're like, this is going to be, this is going to be hell. And it was hell. Like it really was the, the most suffering that I've ever experienced. And God forbid anything more horrible ever happens in my life than that. Um, but walking out of the hospital, there was a Catholic priest walking in at the same time. And, you know, it's kind of, I didn't no clue who the guy was. It was in a different town than I grew up in. Um, and he was just going to walk right by us. But I kind of stopped and turned around. Hey, hey, Father, you have a second? And he stopped and just asked, you know, who I am and everything. Um, and I let him know, hey, Father, my, my dad's in this room in the ICU. He is having a seriously rough time. We don't know if he's going to make it. We've had a lot of signs that make us think he is going to, but he's still really kind of hanging on by a thread and we need a huge miracle. Would you mind just seeing him and praying with him? Didn't really ask for anything specific. And I had no clue if he was even going to. I think he was going to visit somebody pretty specifically. Um, and he said, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll find him. Never heard from that priest again. No clue who he is really. I know it's, I know what church he's the pastor of, but I'm, never going to go to mass there, you know? Um, but the next day after my dad passed, like they told the nurse who was there, told my mom, the, the priest came and anointed him yesterday. It's like, oh, wow, really? Like I'm, that's where it starts getting really weird for me where I'm like the day, the day after he's anointed is when his brain gave out on him. Maybe he was ready to go at that point. I don't know. Maybe the, the solace and the, the grace that came with the sacrament really stuck with him there. Um, and he said, God, I'm ready for you. I don't know. I have no clue. I wish I could talk to my dad again to ask him. Um, and that's where this third sacrament comes in, communion. I gave the eulogy at my dad's funeral and it was really difficult. And I tried my best to compose myself while I was giving it. But that day I thought of it and I've experienced it every single Sunday since then. And you can ask my wife, you can ask my family, like before, this, before all this happened, I was not like a science person of faith. I wasn't like, a, oh, I saw a blue jay fly by and that's how I know my grandpa was with me. Like that was not me. Um, still on the fence sometimes, but like every Sunday when Father Brian or whatever priest is doing the mass says, this is my body, which I have given up for you and holds up the host. I feel this immense peace and presence of my dad with me and being in that church, kneeling on the kneeler next to me or being on the altar, like he's there. And if you've lost somebody, maybe you've felt it before too, where it's kind of this weight on you of just presence. When you know that somebody who's extremely special to you that you're not able to see physically anymore is in the room with you. 
I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know how to make sense of it. And I tried to give it a little bit more thought. And I think what it comes down to is this. God loves us so much that he gave us these bodies. God gave him, loves us so much that he came to us in the physical form of a body in Jesus, right? And he loves us so much that he gave us himself eternally in the Eucharist at this communion, right? It's like, why do we call the Eucharist communion? Eucharist means Thanksgiving. Communion means coming together as one. Why are we giving these weird words here? Every time we come to the Eucharist, every time we're at mass, every time we're kneeling here before the monstrance that has the Eucharist in it, and we're able to spend time face-to-face with Jesus, not only are we kneeling before him ourselves, not only are we kneeling for him with all the people here in the church with us, but every angel and every saint in heaven is here with us present in this church. Sitting beside you and me in the pew is all the saints, all the angels, and all of our loved ones who went to heaven before us. I love St. Joseph being the patron saint of fathers, but also being the patron saint of a happy death, right? St. Joseph dying like years before Jesus, probably something like 30, 20 or 30 years before Jesus. And really like from a theological deep kind of church stance, it's like, we don't know if the souls who died before Jesus, even the holy ones, even the holy Jews who followed Mosaic law and everything, we don't know if they were in heaven or if they were kind of this in-between limbo state. I think that's what most people land on. And there's this awesome, awesome image of God, of uh, Jesus, as he dies on the cross and in Holy Saturday before he rises, of him going into this underworld, this limbo state, and just grabbing saints, just grabbing the arms of saints along the way, kind of running through it, grabbing people and like bringing them to heaven with him bringing them to eternal glory with God, eternal communion with God that they were separated from. Jesus got to do that for his dad. I hope I get to see my dad in the same way. And that's really where I've landed, right? Like I was asked um, like a couple months ago what I've learned from the whole experience of my dad dying and like what I would tell to somebody else who lost somebody closely like that. And the answer that I landed on that I hadn't really thought of at the time was just live your life in a way that allows you to spend eternity with your loved ones in the full presence of God. That's what heaven is. Presence with God, presence with your loved ones, eternal happiness, eternal joy, eternal communion, togetherness with God. I know I'd said I'd give a Greek definition, so here's where I'll kind of land this whole talk. The word apocalypse comes from a couple of Greek roots, but really it means to uncover, right? It means to reveal, to kind of lift the veil. We always think of it as the end of the world. Um, And God knows there's enough going on in the world that makes us think that there's an apocalypse happening or maybe it makes us want an apocalypse to happen. Um, But right here, right now in this church, we're in the apocalypse but not in a bad way. I'm talking about the veil being lifted between heaven and earth, full presence of God, full presence of heaven in this church. Every time you go to communion, revere that moment, really bring to mind that moment that 
everything that you're working towards in your life is there for that split second and that time that you're with Jesus in the church. That's what we're working towards. Give God thanks for bringing that to us here on earth. Acknowledge it and pray that we can all live our lives to be the saints who get to be present with people as they continue waiting for Jesus to come back and bring us all into that glory.